Hello, and welcome to the Interesting World of Sports podcast on the Hopewell Valley Student Publications Network, where students come together to publish content to share with the world. The opinions expressed in this episode are ours. Please enjoy the show. Yo, I want to make a meal so I can change and act strange. Get a Andre 3000 wig with some bangs. I'll hang and bang your frame like the Predator do. Turn in your album, kid. I'm welcome to the Interesting World of Sports podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Yasher. And I'm Connor Basha. And today we'll be discussing the Russian Five. We'll be discussing their background their NHL career, and their post-Stanley Cup accident. First, let's talk about their background. During the Cold War, the best hockey players in the Soviet Union were not allowed to leave to play in the National Hockey League, despite their talents being on par with the North American and Western European players. Before 1989, Viktor Nechvyak, who played three games for the Los Angeles Kings, was the only player from the USSR to play in the NHL. Sergei Prakin was given permission to play in the NHL in 1989 and played in 46 games through 1991. Neither player was considered a star in their native Russia. And nowadays in the NHL, Russians are there's, they're all over the league. I mean, they are the Alex best. Ovechkin, maybe the best. He's he's on pace to break Gretzky's goal record. There are Sergei Bobrovsky. He's a great goalie. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. I mean, Russians are seen as some of the best players now, so it's crazy to think that less than... 30 years ago, they weren't even allowed to play. The league would be so different without them. In the fifth round of the 1988 NHL entry draft, the Buffalo Sabres selected Alexander Magillany with the 89th overall pick. Magillany had been called the best 19-year-old player in the world at the time. In May 1989, Magillany became the first Russian player to defect from the Soviet Union in order to play in the NHL. So the Red Wings were taking advantage of the fact that Russians could, could now easily join the NHL and they had created their own Russian Five. The five players were Sergio Fedorov, who was a center, Vladimir Kuznetsov, who was a defenseman, Slava Koslov, who was a winger, Slava Fetsnov, who was a defenseman, and Igor Larinov, who was a winger. And these five, while um, not seen as the best at the time, when they were able to work together, they made something really special. The chemistry was just unreal. I mean... We may never see anything. We never saw anything like that at the time, and we may never see anything like that again. Now, let's talk about their NHL career. Coached by Scotty Bowman, who is widely regarded as the greatest hockey coach of all time, played the five Russians together as a unit for much of the 1995 to 1996 season. By that time, there were 55 Russians playing in the NHL. Only the Red Wings, however, had put such a combination in starring roles on their team. At the end of the regular season, the five Russians had scored a whopping 117 of the Red Wings' 325 goals. The team won an NHL record 62 games, which is nuts, but eventually fell to the Colorado Avalanche in six games in the Western Conference Finals, the series right before the Stanley Cup. Towards the end of the regular season, Bowman had begun mixing and matching the five Russians with other teammates at times. In the 1997 playoffs, the Russian five were a critical part of each series. In the first round against the St. Louis Blues, Larinoff led the team with five assists. In the second round sweep of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, the top three wing scorers were Fedorov with five points, along with Kuznetsov and Koslov with four points each. And just to get off topic for a little bit here, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, I just I think we need to do a little bit of a side on it that. It doesn't roll off the tongue too well anymore. It doesn't. And I just think it's funny how the whole point of their team was to be an advertisement for the movie, The Mighty Ducks. And so the team was actually owned by Disney, and hence why they were called the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. However, the team is not called the Mighty Ducks anymore. They're just the Anaheim Ducks. And their logo used to be the logo that was on the jerseys of the players in the movie. 
Many people have mixed feelings about those jerseys. In a Western Conference Finals rematch against the Avalanche, Fedorov led all scorers with three goals and four assists, while Larinarov and Koslov each had two goals and three assists. All three players contributed to a game-winning goal during the series. Now let's talk about the 1997 Stanley Cup Finals. Detroit faced the Philadelphia Flyers in the 97 Stanley Cup. Prior to the series, most hockey commentators believed that the Flyers' size and strength, led by MVP Eric Lindros, would be too much for the smaller wings to handle, and the Flyers were favored to win the Stanley Cup. However, the Red Wings surprised most by being the clearly more physical team and possibly breaking the stereotype that Russians and Europeans in general are just too soft of hockey players to play in the NHL. I think that was funny that Russians were considered soft players at the time. I mean, nowadays you still you still think of them as having maybe better hands and being a little less physical, but definitely not as much as they used to think. But I mean, when I think of Russians, I think of big, like grizzly, like hardworking. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Kind of strength, yeah. Yeah, like I would break you, like stuff like that. <laughs> like, so I just think that's a funny stereotype because now in the NHL, it's definitely not seen. Uh, Russian players are seen as just some of the hardest working and hardest hitting players. So it's interesting to see how that stereotype has changed. One man that stood out in this category was Kuznetsov. Early in Game 1, he leveled Flyers winger Trent Klatt as he attempted to carry the puck into the wing's end. Klatt was down on the ice for several seconds afterwards. Then in Game 3, Kuznetsov delivered a hit on Dale Howark that led to a Red Wings goal 24 seconds later. Howark did not play in the Game 4 and retired after the season, so he hit him so hard. Ended his career. He literally ended he that took man's career. that too literally. He literally ended that man's career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The Red Wings shockingly swept the Flyers and won their first Stanley Cup in 42 years. Speaking about Kuznetsov's effect on that series, Jimmy Delvano said, Vladdy certainly led the Flyers. Speaking about Kuznetsov's effect in that series, Jimmy Delvano said, Vladdy certainly let that Flyers know that the Red Wings weren't going to be pushed around. He just hit everything in sight. Scotty Bowman called him a game changer. Assistant coach Dave Lewis said, when Vladimir Kuznetsov hit Howard, it changed the game. It changed the series. It was over at that point. Teammate Chris Draper said it was one of the hardest hits he'd ever seen. So it was safe to say that that man had a stellar series. At the conclusion of Game 4, the Stanley Cup was presented to the winning team's captain, Steve Yeezerman, who hoisted it above his head and skated the traditional victory lap around Joe Louis Arena. He then handed the cup to Slava Fetstov, the now 39-year-old former captain of the Red Army Club. Fetstov immediately skated over to Igor Larionov, and the two skated around the rink holding the cup aloft between them. That just shows the chemistry of this team. He didn't want to take the lap by himself. He wanted to do it with his teammate because he knew it was a team effort that they won. Hockey's a team sport. The Red Wings players and coaches dedicated their efforts the following season to Kuznetsov and Maxinov. Chris Jiper later said, The motivation for us going into the Stanley Cup Finals to back-to-back years was definitely Vladdy. He was certainly in our hearts and in our minds every time we played. He was that extra motivation that we totally needed. Kuznetsov was brought onto the ice in his wheelchair for the team's victory celebration, and Yeezerman, rather than taking the traditional lap around the rink that a captain would normally skate, immediately brought the cup to Kuznetsov and put it in his lap. As he held the cup steady, Fetsnetsov and Larinov pushed Katznov's wheelchair as the entire team skated their victory lap to a standing ovation. Three of the five, Festivov, Larinov, and Fedorov, were elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame after they retired. So you may be confused. What's up with all this wheelchair talk? Why is, why is Vladdy in a wheelchair? Well, to answer that, we need to take a few steps back. Now, let's rewind and talk about their accident. Let's set the stage. Six days after they just won their first Stanley Cup, 
Most of the team gathered for a golf outing and dinner at the Orchards Golf Club in nearby Washington Township. Limousines were ordered so that no one partying would have to drive. Fetsnov, Kutznitnov, and team massage therapist Sergei Maxnov left the party in a limousine driven by Richard Ganita, who had a suspended license after two convictions for drunk driving. So it was a recurring thing. Yes, it was a recurring accident, and he had already had a history with drunk driving, so this was not a smart idea. However, they had no idea. The limo veered off course and through three lanes of traffic, skipped the curb, and crashed into a tree. All four of the occupants were taken to a nearby Beaumont hospital, and Fetsnov suffered broken ribs and a punctured lung, but made a full recovery. Maxnetnov spent several weeks in a coma and was permanently paralyzed from the waist down. I can't imagine the feeling of, well, not only the players, but the driver. I mean, although he did do it to himself and seems like kind of a stupid guy to keep uh, drunk driving, but, I mean, I can't imagine what's going through his head. Kuznetsnov suffered severe head injuries and was in a coma even longer than Miksnatnov. When he finally awoke, he was unable to speak and needed months of rehab before he could leave the hospital. His brain had been torn in several pieces, which disrupted his ability to communicate and destroyed his short-term memory, and made him unable to move with his balance. His hockey career was well over. Which is unfortunate, because he was one of the best players on that team. And And these guys had only been together for like two, three years at the time, and they were just getting started. And then, of course, however, Connor, you say they were just getting started. They were on the older side. They were on the older side, but they were hardworking, and I bet you they could have gone far a few more years. But, I mean, that just gave the team something to fight for. It wasn't like sometimes when teams are winning, they're just winning because they want to win. I mean, who doesn't want to win a Stanley Cup? But they had something to fight for. That might have given them the drive to beat the Caps and win another Cup. Yeah, I mean, it's about drive. It's about power. Mm-hmm. And beyond how Russians were perceived, the five also changed how hockey was taught in North America, in no small part because of the value they placed on puck possession. In the words of Jim Lights, everybody used to dump the puck in and chase it behind the net. The Russians changed that. They changed our game. Commenting on their puck control abilities, Red Wings goalie Mike Vernon once said, There were times when I could have left the net and gone out for pizza, and the other team still would not have the puck from those guys when I got back. That was just, that shows how much puck possession they had. And that's that was inter- their main goal. Yeah, and it's interesting now because a lot of teams, they're, a lot of teams when they're doing zone entry, their zone entry is hold on to the puck, one guy goes wide, second guy goes hard to the net, third guy's high. Yeah, I mean, it's totally changed. Our coach now, I mean, when we dump it in, half the time we come back to the bench and he says, what the bleep are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I just think it's funny how that would seem to be the best way to, they thought that was the best way to play, but these five guys taught him differently. That's like in football, how up until around the 60s and 70s, it was a run-heavy sport, but then they got quarterbacks like Joe Namath that started passing the ball, passing the ball, and dominating like that, and it really changed the way the game was played. I mean, sports just in general have, are changed so much, so consistently. Like in the NFL, running backs is so much more value in the 2000s than now, but we won't get into all that. In a 2020 interview, Coach Scotty Bowman pointed out that the Russian Five bred a different style of breakout to the NHL in which both forwards would leave the defensive zone while the defenseman still had the puck and crisscross in the neutral zone. In his words, that was in no way our game. But he stated that the Russian Five had an advantage because North American players had not seen that style before and eventually became integrated into the NHL. And that actually became known as the Weave. So if you've ever watched a hockey game, you notice how... Our coach screams weave from the bench all the time as we're entering the zone or breaking out. Yeah, if you've ever watched a hockey game, you'll see when the defensemen have the puck, the wingers are not 
even with the defenseman, they're getting out of the zone. They're trying to get open for a breakout pass. And as as defensemen, the last thing we want to see is wingers and forwards just crisscrossing. It just screws everything up. Yeah, especially when you're playing defense on the people that are doing it. It really makes it hard because you have to track your guy, and it makes it a lot more difficult. And then with all the drop passes and everything, your change of direction, and has it just... It's tough, man. It's tough. It's a lot harder to defend a weave than it is to defend a dump and chase because if dump you— Dump and chase, you're usually the first one on the puck. Exactly, and that's all that's thanks— That's all it's about. All, you just got to get to the puck first. But, and it's all thanks yeah. to the Russians, so we have we have them to thank for having a little bit more little bit more challenge while playing defense. A little bit more defense. creativity in this game as well. Yes, and making it a lot more interesting. I know, at least for me, it's a lot more interesting to watch a puck possession game versus a dump and chase game. I know the Rangers, for a long time, in around like 2013, they were, that's what they're, the New York Rangers, of course, I'm talking about, their offense was a dump and chase, and it was so boring to watch because literally it would just, every time they got the puck, it was dump it in and go get it. And it just, it just led to, it worked. But it was just so boring to watch because there was never any creative plays. It was just the same thing every time. And we've played a boatload of teams who love to just dump it in and chase it every time. And 80% of the time, the defenseman wins the race to the puck and is able to break it out. If there's a good defenseman, he will win that puck battle. And the Russians identified that and found a better way to better way to break the puck out. So we have them to thank for a lot of modern hockey, honestly. Once again, I'm Connor Bacha. And I'm Dylan Yasher. And we thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.